Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, book lovers. My name is Em, and I want to talk about books. And cats. Hey, book lovers, welcome back. This week has been a bit of a busy one. Well, busy in like a post pandemic world. I used to be stupidly busy, like overly so, every single day until I burned out <laughs> completely. I am so, so glad that I don't live like that anymore. Um, so, not that busy. <laughs> but this week I have actually gone out and attended a couple of events and I went out for my birthday. And it's been nice, like, being out in the world again. I like being home a lot. I really enjoy my comfortable space. But it is good to step outside, too. So I turned the big 4-2 the other day, and I feel great. (laughs) I've never really worried too much about age, but it used to be because I never believed that I would get past 40. I just couldn't see past that point, um... I was majorly depressed, and I also had CPTSD without knowing it, so just kind of felt crazy. Um, And yeah, I just didn't think I'd get that far. But I have done a lot of work, very hard work, and I've made some actual real change. I have been idling for a couple years just because I didn't really have any plans for this part of my life. I was not prepared in any way. And... um, I'm also just kind of beginning to meet my real self after a lifetime of denying her space to exist. So it seems right that life is kind of opening up at 42. I think it's time. (laughs) And it's always been kind of a meaningful number to me. And I do feel like a new person with a new life. So I guess I kind of was right. Old M did not make it past 40 because there's no way she could. (laughs) Anyway, all that to say that this week I have been living life and enjoying myself, and it has caused this to be a shorter episode. (laughs) I do have a book to talk to you about, and I have a new chapter of my weekly writing project, but not much else. (laughs) I got a couple quotes. I might have more next week. Who knows? This is kind of what the episodes used to be, and I might just go back to one book a week. Unless, you know, I get inspired. We'll see. (laughs) Anyway, I want to start by talking really quickly about one of my new YouTube obsessions. I've been on a real kick of watching UK television, and my newest one, and the best yet, really, is called QI, which stands for quite interesting. First of all, I love the word quite. I used it once in a comedic scene in one of the plays that I wrote for my high school students, like a long, long time ago, and it has been a favorite word ever since. Plus, it's just fun to say. Quite. (laughs) Anyway, QI is hosted by a comedian who also hosts the Great British Baking Show. And it also has a panel of comedians that are playing the game. And those uh, panelists change, except for one of them. He's always there. And then the other three change per episode. 
So they play this game, but game is kind of a loose term. They mostly just discuss strange facts or things that are kind of a well-known thing that isn't actually true. And most of the facts are usually like loosely kind of grouped in under a topic. Each episode kind of has a topic, sort of. (laughs) And the comedians can lose points for wrong answers and gain points for right ones. So with all the joking and everything, they often end up in like negative points, sometimes a lot of negative points. It's just really a fun, funny show, and it's also super interesting. Like, I've learned some really random stuff that's just fascinating, you know? (laughs) One of my favorite episodes of QI was called Smorgasbord, which is another fun word. (laughs) And in this episode, they were talking about different English phrases that sound exactly like other phrases in different languages. It was super interesting. They also said that if you say the phrase, yes, we can see, you are actually saying yes in four different languages, English, French, Hebrew, and Spanish. And I just thought that was like kind of (laughs) cool. QI is definitely quite interesting, and I would recommend checking it out. You can find it on YouTube, and it is just fantastic. All right, so book time. This week is a book that came out pretty recently. Today, I want to talk about The Storyteller by Dave Grohl. So I listened to this as an audiobook, and it's read by him, which really adds to the stories. It kind of adds to the whole experience. If you don't know who Dave Grohl is, he is the founder and lead singer of the Foo Fighters and also the drummer for Nirvana, among a lot of other things, but those are kind of what he's known for. Very talented musician and seems like a really nice guy. So this book was not exactly what I was expecting, although honestly, I'm not sure what I was expecting. I guess probably something gritty, like most rock biographies. But this was really a refreshing change. Dave Grohl really seems like he actually is just a kind of nerdy music dude with a somewhat charmed life and a lot of drive. Like, this made me really admire his his tenacity and just his, I don't know, forward momentum. I'm always impressed with people that just kind of keep moving forward, you know? So this was a compilation of stories from his life, mostly to do with music, obviously. And they're kind of woven together through some interesting themes. And a major theme of the entire book was inspiration, He got to meet a lot of his heroes and inspirations for playing music, and that's really, really cool. (laughs) Listening to the audiobook kind of felt like just hanging out and listening to him tell stories, which was cool. I will say that every once in a while, the writing would get a little wild with the descriptors, to the point where I kind of assumed that there was a ghostwriter, but no, he wrote this book himself, which makes it even more impressive because he hasn't really devoted any of his crazy talent to writing books before, and it came out really well. He tells a good story, but every once in a while, the description (laughs) made me laugh. He just seems like a really chill dude. My husband was resistant to listening to this book because he didn't want his image of Dave Grohl ruined, but honestly, if anything, it made me like him more. I'm sure there's some less than savory stories in his past. We all have them. And he's a rock star. I mean, come on. But this book is pretty wholesome, as Grohl seems to be as well. 
I was psyched to find that he really is a chill, just kind of nerdy, crazy-driven musician, and also a devoted family man. I can't say that any of this was super surprising. There are two things I always think of when Dave Grohl is mentioned. One is the drumming battle he had with a girl named Nandy during quarantine, which if you haven't seen it, go look that up on YouTube because it's fabulous. And that girl is crazy talented. Ugh, I love a good drummer too. So impressive. I feel like drumming is almost like dance, you know, in a way. It's very cool. Anyway, I also think about a super old TV show that at the time was on MTV. It was called Viva La Bam, featuring Bam Margera running around with his friends and just kind of being stupid. It was super entertaining when I was a college student. (laughs) In one episode, though, they're doing a scavenger hunt, and I think they needed to get something like from a famous person or something like that. And they saw Dave Grohl just walking down the street, and he just gave them his belt. Like, no question. He was just like, yeah, sure, and like just handed it to them. And... That stuck with me because it's kind of how I want to walk through life, just like chill, smiling, and generous, you know? So this book kind of chronicles his goodness, and while it was unlike any rock biography I've ever consumed before, it felt like a breath of fresh air. Plus, it is always nice to see a man who has power and is in Hollywood be genuine and motivated by goodness, you know? (laughs) This book just made me really happy. If anyone else is a Nirvana fan like me and curious about how much he goes into it, it's honestly not much. I have to admit, this was kind of a draw for me in the beginning. Nirvana was a huge moment in my own adolescence, and they really have a place in my heart. I think when you're an adolescent, like, music is just everything. But it was really beautiful to just see his, like, raw joy during this time of his life, especially at the beginning— And just also kind of a breathless, like, overwhelm. And even now, which makes sense, they blew up really fast and burned out in a pretty small span of time, really. They weren't around very long as a band, but they also managed to change the face of rock music forever, which is pretty intense. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't have, like, long, detailed memories about this time. I bet a lot of it was kind of a blur, you know? It was also really interesting to hear about Kurt Cobain kind of from the perspective of bandmate and friend and roommate. They live together, too. (laughs) I feel like he wrote this section really carefully, but still really emotionally. And yeah, it was really more a memory of his friend than anything else, which really seems like the right way to handle it. So even more kudos to him for writing this and just doing it with such tact. It was very respectful. So there are some really incredible stories of the people he's gotten to meet and the big events he's gotten to do, like at the White House. (laughs) And all of those are really, really cool. But my favorite story involves his two daughters and a daddy-daughter dance. Now, I'm not going to ruin the story here, but it was so beautiful, and it really shows the kind of man he is. And uh, let's just say he has his priorities straight which is pretty impressive, too. So yeah, I definitely recommend The Storyteller by Dave Grohl, and I would especially recommend the audiobook. Listening to him tell his stories and their seemingly rambling but also somehow cohesive structure really makes it feel like you're just hanging out with a good friend. It's such an enjoyable listen. I honestly took a couple of long drives just to keep listening to the book at times. 
It's really great. So this week I am jumping right into the quote of the week. It was my birthday the other day and things are a bit off schedule. When this comes out, I will actually be in Montreal with my hubby as a birthday gift. So like I said, this is a shorter episode because I needed to get it out so I can go and live life again. (laughs) That being said, I could not narrow this week's quote of the week down to actually one quote. So we're doing three. They all come from the storyteller. There are a ton of fantastic quotes in that book, but I chose three of my favorites and they each kind of have a different purpose. The first one kind of just describes his priorities and, you know, why he's a good dude. The quote is, the most important thing for me is my family and my health and happiness and making sure everyone's cool. I think that's like a great way to live, honestly. That's how I want to live. (laughs) The next one is just one that I related to so, so hard. And I think it would relate to a lot of people, especially like creative people. The quote is, I was born to let my freak flag fly and celebrate all of life's beautiful eccentricities. Love it. And then finally, this one is my favorite of the three. Just some inspiration for you. Because every day is still a blank page waiting to write itself. I love that, especially as a writer. Um, So well done, Dave Grohl. Very nice. And finally, it is time for a new chapter of my weekly writing project, currently titled Ocean Eyes. And this week is chapter 18. Enjoy. Rhea groaned and opened her eyes. The light was painfully bright, and everything was fuzzy and indistinguishable. The sudden realization hit her. She could see. There was light. Something other than the endless darkness. She tried to sit up, but the pain of that movement caused her to break out in a cold sweat. It radiated through her, and the blurry ceiling above her sparkled with stars. It took a while for the pain to die down, It came in waves that very slowly diminished in severity. As her wits came back to her, Rhea realized something she should have noticed immediately. The pain had not been the only thing holding her down. Her wrists and ankles were bound tightly to the large, flat stone on which she lay. Tentatively, Rhea extended her fingers. She felt the buzz of electricity wrap around her wrist. I wouldn't do that, a voice said softly. The voice startled Rhea, and she felt a light shock from each of her bindings. Just lay still, he continued. There's nothing left for you to do now. Just wait. For what? she asked softly. Her captor found this question amusing. He laughed, and she heard him pacing somewhere above her head. It must be terrible to not know. You always knew everything, didn't you? Not everything, she muttered. Still, the loss of such a power must be killing you. He laughed again. He found himself very funny. I mean, he giggled, it is killing you. You walked right into the trap. You ended up here, exactly where we need you. Who's we and what exactly do you need from me? Your blood, he said. She could hear the smile in his voice. You must know what's coming even without your special sights. Surely Mar told you. She knows. Rhea grimaced. Morena was never very forthcoming. She was irritatingly silent most of the time, lost somewhere deep in her thoughts. But she hadn't needed Morena to tell her. 
she'd seen the book. It was there. She saw that now. It had been foretold throughout the book in vague references and riddles. It had been right there the whole time. The oldest magic. A force of unmitigated evil. The great ones who lived long before the dark-hearted ones and unfortunately birthed them into the world had driven the evil deep into the earth and trapped it there for the rest of time. Unless someone called it back, knew the spells, and had one very important ingredient. The blood of the one who captured it long ago. Rhea, the daughter of a dark-hearted one, a child of death, bore this blood. She was a sacrifice. Why would you want to do this? She asked softly. Do you know what will become of the world? Honestly, he said slowly, I don't really care. I'm just in it to watch you bleed. Why? Who are you? What have I done to deserve this? There was a long silence. She could hear his heavy, labored breathing. You remember, he said finally. I know you do. Yes, I remember, she said desperately. What does that have to do with you? Who are you? I always loved sleeping outside, he said thoughtfully. It was so cramped with the whole family in one hut. Rhea was cold. Horror filled her. I was sleeping outside on the night you killed my family. My mom, my dad, and my baby sister. And don't forget everyone else. You took everything from me. I swore I would never rest until I got my revenge. And now here we are. He laughed and she heard him approaching. Her body stiffened slightly and the electricity buzzed. Suddenly his face loomed over her and she gasped. She recognized him. He grinned brightly. His eyes were wild and bloodshot. Hi, he whispered. He placed his hands on her shoulders and shook. A jolt like lightning shot through Rhea and she faded away. Nim zipped quickly through the underground streams. She had committed the route to memory, and she moved confidently through the maze of swirling currents until she popped out in the beautiful lagoon. It was even more breathtaking in person. The purple willows bore leaves of varying shades of lavender, lilac, and plum. The water was as clear as glass and perfectly cool and refreshing. She felt revitalized as she swam into the middle of the lagoon. The song from her vision began softly. Nim felt her spirits lift, and she turned in a full circle, looking for the source of the beautiful voice. She saw the dancing points of light clustered near the largest and droopiest of the willows. She swam toward it, and as she approached the shore, her tail transformed into legs. It was not an entirely painless process, and Nim avoided it as much as possible. Yet there was a small part of her that thrilled at the touch of her feet on solid ground. She ducked under the boughs of the willow tree and into the dim purple light beneath. A trail of pink and white stars danced through the trees, and Nim followed. The song carried her. She moved faster and faster. The dark trees of the forest flew by in a blur. The song ended abruptly, and the silence was crushing. Darkness fell as all of the stars winked out at once. Nim came to a stop and spun around. As her eyes adjusted to the sudden dark, she saw a pale shimmer, a figure emitting its own slight glow. They extended their hand to Nim and beckoned her closer. 
She floated effortlessly and against her own will closer to the glow, and as she approached it, it grew brighter. A beautiful face emerged, pale lilac skin and rose-colored eyes. She gave Nim a small, timid smile. Her thin fingers wrapped around Nim's arm and emitted a soothing warmth. It filled Nim with elation, with pure joy. Giggling, the slight figure pulled her into the darkness. She expertly navigated the dark trees and hidden boulders. Nim skimmed along behind her, weightless and powerless. The trees changed as they continued on. Their bark was lighter, soon the same hue as the girl's skin. She slowed, and Nim did the same. They stopped in front of a massive mushroom. Its flesh was pale pink, and it was speckled with light and dark purple spots. The girl was pulling her forward, but as they neared the mushroom, Nim's fear began to grow. Terror shook her as the girl pulled her along. Nim tried to resist. She tried to somehow force herself backward, though she had no control whatsoever over her own body. It didn't respond, but the girl did seem to be putting a little more effort into her trek toward the giant fungus. Upon reaching it, the girl held out a hand in front of her, and an opening appeared in the thick stalk. The cloying scent of dead roses surrounded them. Nim gagged. The girl slipped through the opening and pulled Nim behind her. The mushroom was soft and slippery as it rubbed against her. They passed through into an inviting room decorated in the same purples and pinks. A beautiful table had been set out, and the girl led Nim to one of the ornately carved chairs. She took her place across from Nim. Her chair was decorated with small pink roses. Nim's was adorned with lilacs and orchids. The smell was a bit nauseating, and Nim tried to breathe shallowly as she sat down. The creature across from her was unlike any she'd seen in life or even in the books of the palace library. Her skin was smooth and flawless. It was somewhat translucent. Fine red veins pulsed delicately across her cheeks. She reached for the plate of sweets with abnormally long, slender fingers. Nim gasped when she saw the webs between the girl's fingers, and the girl smiled. Yes, she said in a soft voice like the tinkling of bells. I am of the water as well, but I am also of the land, like you. Her eyes glowed a little in the pinkish light. Nim inhaled sharply but didn't speak. The girl passed the plate to Nim with a kind smile. There's nothing to fear here, Nim. I know you. I know what you are. I am what you are. We are the same, though I started out on land and adapted to the water. We are two sides of the same coin. Nim took a small bite of a pretty pink cookie covered with flowers. The sweetness was overwhelming and she put it back down. She choked down the bite and tried to find her voice. Who? Her voice was too quiet, but the girl heard. She nodded. Of course. I haven't even introduced myself, and you have no idea who I am, right? Nim nodded and the girl giggled. This must be so confusing for you. I'll try to explain. She paused and hungrily ate a cookie. After a moment, with crumbs still clinging to her lips, she continued. I guess I'll start with my name. I am Len. I live here near the lagoon, and I called you here to deliver a message. Though I was also incredibly excited to meet you, I really do believe we have a lot in common. She smiled and wiped the crumbs from her mouth. She passed another plate to Nim. This one held piles of tiny purple spheres. They seemed to contain some kind of sparkly liquid. 
Nim's mouth began to water. She felt an overwhelming urge to tip the plate and shovel them all into her mouth. After a few moments battling her better judgment, she did just that. Her fingers and face were stained purple, and her smile was gruesome. She grinned as juice dripped down her chin. Len grinned back. You like the glimmer sweets? That makes sense. They contain starlight. Darkness. Nim's stomach cramped painfully. Oh, she groaned. It hurts. Terror filled her. Her heart was racing. Its frantic thumping drowned out the girl's words, but she could see her lips moving. Yes, Len said with a pitying smile. It certainly does. Darkness crowded Nim's vision. Pain burned in her veins, and her body convulsed in stiff, erratic movements. She slipped from her chair to the floor. Len stood and walked over to stand beside her. They locked eyes, and Nim didn't look away until the darkness took her. And that's it for chapter 18. I hope you've enjoyed this somewhat short episode, and I hope you have a beautiful week, book lovers. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep reading. Go, 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 go